Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for joining me. Fantastic show planned for you today. Start slamming that like button right now if you're watching on YouTube. More importantly, if you're listening on Apple or anywhere you're listening to a podcast, start pounding that five-star review. We got to fight the algorithm. I'm going to deliver you a fantastic show. Royce White's going to help me unpack uh, my fire starter. There I go again with the word unpack. Everybody have a beer. Steve Kim's going to join me. After Royce White, and we're going to talk some sports with Steve Kim, but we have an awesome show uh, planned that begins with a terrific fire starter. One of my best, I think, but without further ado, let's get right to it. Uh, 22 days before his assassination, John F. Kennedy signed the most important piece of legislation of his presidency, the Community Mental Health Act. The act provided federal funding for mental health and research facilities across America. It fueled the United States deinstitutionalization movement, social and medical reform that shut down insane asylums and treated the mentally ill with psychiatric drugs. The Community Mental Health Act, signed on Halloween 1963, arguably stands as the Emancipation Proclamation for the Mentally Ill. I know this because yesterday a Twitter user sent me down a mental health rabbit hole with a single tweet. Here's the tweet. Very simple. U.S. population, 1955, 161 million. U.S. population, 2023, 332 million. 1995 mental asylum population, 559,000. 2023 mental asylum population, 35,000. This is the real crisis. That's how the tweet ended. The user sent me that in a reply to a response to my tweet showing a disturbed person harassing a New York police officer at a subway station. Watch the video. Could you imagine being a cop and having to deal with that? That disturbed person was participating in a protest over the death of Jordan Neely, the mentally ill homeless man killed last week inside an NYC subway. Now, just think this through. Jordan Neely was not killed by police. This person screaming, your officers took black lives. Your officers took black lives. The police weren't involved. A Marine put Jordan Neely in a chokehold because Jordan Neely was acting a fool. That's who took Jordan Neely's life, if anybody, but you know, we, we'll get into that later. Uh, before receiving the tweet, I had no idea that America had dramatically pivoted on how it treats the mentally ill. Like most of Western society, we used to com commit, house, restrain, and care for our mentally disturbed inside institutions. Following the lead of Europe, in the 1950s, we concluded our treatment of the deranged was inhumane. 
Pharmaceutical companies convinced lawmakers that they could concoct drugs to control the insane. We shut down insane asylums. President Kennedy had a soft spot for the mentally ill. His sister Rosemary suffered brain damage at age 23 after a lobotomy surgery. Four years after Kennedy signed the Community Mental Health Act, then California Governor Ronald Reagan signed the Lanterman Petrus Short Act, which ended the practice of institutionalizing patients against their will in California. The law exploded California's prison and homeless population. The mentally ill committed crimes and were not taken care of by their families. They lived on the streets or in prison. This all perfectly explains Jordan Neely. Abandoned by his father as a child and made motherless at 14 by a murderous stepfather, Neely fell into depression, mental illness, and crime. Arrested more than 40 times, Neely lived on New York streets and harassed and or assaulted people on the city's subways. Mental illness is America's real crisis. Corporate media are discouraged from discussing the failure of drugs to combat the problem. Big Pharma, with its advertising power, owns the mainstream media. Television networks, internet platforms, and most social media apps depend on Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson's ad dollars. There's considerable risk for any broadcaster or network to question anything produced by Big Pharma. Rather than analyze our mental health crisis, we've chosen to normalize it. That's why Richard Levine gets to play the role of Rachel Levine, the first female Public Health Service Commission Corps four-star admiral. President Joe Biden appointed Levine as the Assistant Secretary of Health. And that's why Biden sat down for a celebratory interview with Dylan Mulvaney, the transgender actor and comedian. Crazy is the new normal. Anyone who doesn't adopt the new normal is branded a racist, homophobe, or transphobe. The name calling and smear campaigns detract us from addressing the ramifications, consequences, and root causes of our new normals. Are the mentally ill better off living on the streets than inside an asylum? Are they better off inside a prison than an asylum? Is affirming the delusions and mutilating the bodies of gender dysphoric, is that more humane than treating their mental disorder? Is living a lie healthier than confronting the truth? I can't speak for every individual, but I can confidently say America is not a better place when we're all forced to live a lie. Just as the truth sets us free, lies limit freedom. The tweet I received yesterday provoked several epiphanies within me. A decade ago, when I read Arthur Michelle Alexander's best-selling book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, her research and narrative on the growth in America's prison population had an enormous impact on my worldview. I swallowed her entire narrative. I bought the book for family and friends. Alexander became one of my four journalistic heroes, alongside Chicago columnist Mike Royko, sports writer Ralph Wiley, newspaperman turned TV producer David Simon. 
My longtime LLC is titled RWSA, which stands for Royko, Wiley, Simon, and Alexander. My Mount Rushmore of journalism. Alexander blamed mass incarceration on America's fruitless drug war. It's a crock. America's love of drugs and partnership with global drug companies spawn so-called mass incarceration. That love affair and partnership swelled the prison population. Deinstitutionalization moved the mentally ill from insane asylums to prison. And the destruction of the nuclear family increased mental instability. The 1960s promoted drug use, promiscuity, the matriarchy, and the destruction of the nuclear family. We bought the lies that a pill could fix every problem, that free love is better than monogamy and marriage, and that feminist rule is superior to the patriarchy. We chose crazy. Our destroyed and tattered families produce crazy like a factory assembly line. Mass incarceration is a consequence of crazy, not racist drug policies. I don't know the solution to our mental health crisis. I do know that normalizing crazy is only making things worse. Two men pretending to be married and raising children increases the insanity. So do child-friendly drag shows and story hours. Normalizing obesity kills. Ascribing a racial motive to every mixed race negative engagement promotes segregation and division. Adopting silly, obvious double standards, such as feigning deep, life-altering emotional pain over a racial slur you use daily, provokes additional foolishness. Ignoring the crazy, belligerent, threatening, and occasionally violent homeless man on the street or subway doesn't improve society or promote safety. Indifference is as lethal as hate. We've grown indif indifferent to the insanity we've normalized. We've adopted a reprobate mind. That is my fire starter for today. That's the discussion I want to have with Royce White. There's no one better to have this with. Royce White has been on this topic for a decade, literally for a decade, if not longer. It's, it's taken many of us time to catch up to Royce's perspective and, and just how deep his perspective goes. But I'm here now and I can't wait to engage in this conversation with Royce about the mental health crisis and how we have taken on this approach of just like, hey, let's normalize insanity. Let's cover up all the symptoms or try to cover up the symptoms with drugs. Let's, let's pretend like men can have babies. That'll fix it. They're not crazy. Men can have babies. Let's all go into this lie bubble that they have and that'll make everything normal and better. Man, it's yesterday, <laughs> I, I've never, this is why I have this love-hate relationship with Twitter, and since Elon Musk has taken over, I actually appreciate Twitter a lot more. But the reason I have love-hate relationship with it is because a lot of times I get information and thoughts and perspective that I can't get anywhere else, and it will trigger uh, some research 
and a further dive down a rabbit hole that will take me to a new understanding. And who I think the guy's name may be Brian Joseph or whoever tweeted at me yesterday. Hats off to you, young man. Thank you so much for compelling me and propelling me to a deeper understanding of what's going on in America. Royce has been trying to beat it into my head on this show uh, for more than a year. And it took your tweet to open my mind. So after, in, in a few seconds here, we're gonna be joined by Royce, but before I get to Royce, I wanna take care of some business. And it's really not business, it's personal. I wanna take care of some purpose. The purpose of this show and the purpose of this fearless movement is about honoring life and understanding that life begins in the womb and, uh, and adopting a worldview and a perspective that supports life. And that worldview and perspective begins with understanding that life begins in the womb. And that's why as fearless soldiers, as part of this fearless movement, we support preborn. Preborn does a fantastic job of fighting the pro-abortion movement and providing women the life-altering, mind-changing ultrasounds that get them to understand that there is a growing child life inside their womb. And so when women think or are contemplating abortion, uh, preborn comes in, provides them an ultrasound, shows them that baby in the womb, they get to hear that baby's heartbeat, and more times than not, that changes a woman's mind and she chooses life. And that's when preborn really steps up and supports that woman for the next two years, providing her, helping her, assisting her with all the materials and possessions and mental and emotional support to get through the pregnancy and get through that first two years of that baby's life. Preborn is dependent on us. It costs $28 for one ultrasound. You can sponsor five ultrasounds for $140. They depend on us to support them, and that money goes directly to ultrasounds and supporting that woman and that expectant mother. It's the least we can do. Here's how we do it. We go to our phones, pound 250, say the keyword baby, or we do it the Jason Whitlock way. We visit preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason, your love, has the power to save a life. All right, you can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Keep pounding that like button. Keep hitting those five-star reviews. Leave a review on Apple. Help us fight the algorithm. Voice White. It's my obligation on hate discrimination. Raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Time for some Morpheus, Royce White, who keeps us well ahead of the conversation, keeps me in shape, keeps my mind running. I'm always running to catch up with Royce. Royce, uh, I'm sure you knew this, but I, I don't think many people did know that there, that there had been this dramatic shift in how we treated the mentally ill. Uh, you know, I. I Smart people who study this, I'm sure, and follow politics and, you know, I'm sure know it, but I don't think most of the American public knows that, hey man, we basically kicked the mentally ill onto the streets or into the prison population and, and we're looking at the results and, and, and no one wants to talk about it because we think there's some pill to be popped that can fix it. 
Well, yeah, I mean, the decrease in, in mental health uh, hospitals or uh, hospitalization beds and, and the whole the whole industry uh, decreased by, I think, 97 percent uh, since 1955. And I mean, that's just uh, that's just a complete abandonment of, of mental health institutions and state hospitals uh, writ large all across the country. And it was sort of a perfect storm in the 50s and 60s that many of our viewers and listeners will find very interesting and and and. Uh, probably not a coincidence. It's conspicuous to say the very least um, that it was the the faith in medical discovery around vaccines and antibiotics that was really the driving cultural force that led to the political decisions of, of, of um, what was at the time in, in 1955, the Mental Illness and Health Commission. Um, and, and even one of the doctors on here, I was reading the New York Times article from 1984. His name was uh, Dr. M. Brewster Smith from the University of California, psychologist that served as their vice president. He was on the commission. He was one of the few surviving members in 1984 on the commission. And uh, he basically said, you know, that uh, science and government came together and they 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 oversold what what medication would be able to do. Um, and, and really, again, a lot of people thought that the, 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 the science breakthroughs on penicillin would actually cure psychosis. So we see there like this huge over belief in, in, in antibiotics themselves, but medicine in general. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a huge decision that was made. I think a lot of, um, the sitting presidents, three sitting presidents specifically were misled at the time by the medical community and and specifically the mental health community um, to to bring these type of policies to to the public um, Reagan uh, Kennedy uh, and and Johnson no sorry I'm sorry Eisenhower Kennedy and Johnson uh, I think they were all misled in in large part genuinely misled when it came to this this specific issue Royce I hear you say that and the thing that pops in my head is, trust the science. Trust the science. <laughs> it seems like science has been perhaps leading us astray for a long yeah. time. And, yeah. and, you know, you're talking about the 1955 version of Dr. Fauci, and it just yeah. keeps repeating itself because it seems like we learn nothing from or we're not allowed to learn anything from our past mistakes. Well, let, let's let's take it a step back. Let, let's try and define mental health, because I think that's probably most important. I came onto the scene, as you uh, eloquently uh, stated, trying to trying to advocate for this issue and fight against the biggest machine there is. And. And when I say the NBA is the biggest machine there is, it's not that the NBA is the most powerful corporation, but it's the it's the watering hole for a global corporate community. And the global corporate community is the behemoth that that seeks to uh, uh, globalize our entire society and, and, and govern us in that way. And, and medicine and science are at the height of it. Right. And so one of the one of the natural juxtapositions of science is mental health naturally. Right. Because. One of the great mysteries that science seems to not be able to solve still to this day is human consciousness. And that's what's at the root of mental health. I mean, people talk about mental health. They like to keep it shallow, like anxiety and depression or, you know, people who are psychotic or people who are manic or, you know, schizophrenia or whatever. But at the root of, of mental health, we're talking about 
the human mind, right? Consciousness itself, which is a great mystery, probably the greatest mystery in the universe uh, by by most metrics. And then if you go a layer deeper than that in the in the more tangible human sense, you you could say that it's the human condition, right? Uh, and and I like to define it as the the convergence where where mind, body, and spirit converge into our perceivable existence. Um, so that that's what mental health really is. And I came in fighting against the NBA on that front to say, you know, this is the greatest social issue we face. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yes, we have a crisis of faith. Yes, we have a crisis of leadership. But but ultimately, in the political and and, and cultural and and uh, and and individual sense, we have a great great crisis and epidemic of of the human condition of the human mind and what what i think people have to start from and and i think we should start the conversation here is like if you look at the 1950s and 60s and this sort of explosion of policy aimed to send people who are mentally ill back to the streets it's in accordance with a desire to uh validate justify a radical consumer society and the ills that come along with it. And these are the these are the ills that that our elites, our global elites, our financial elites, our corporate elites, our capitalist and communist elites uh, conceded that we're just a part of the the deal and going to a post uh, a post industrial society. Yet people are going to lose their shit. They're going to go crazy. They don't have any faith. They don't have any anchors. They don't have any psychological stability. They're going to go crazy. And and what we'll do. To, uh, to deal with, with people going crazy and becoming more depressed, more violent, more anxious, more fearful, more, more wayward from God, uh, we'll just throw them in prisons. Mm. So throw them in, and when you say prisons, you mean throw them in mental or sane asylums in the 40s, 50s. 1930s no. and is, no no i mean that they they went from having these people in mental health institutions that were more allocated to deal with the 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 ills of the mind and then they said well we're done with that we'll just throw them in real prisons <laughs> right it's like the hell with that charity Right. Uh, th- that was too charitable and really when you go back and you read the 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 notes from those congressional committees and things that made those decisions, it was largely predicated about tax dollars and a complaint about these mental state institutions being, uh, you know, black holes of, of tax money and, and state 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 revenue and state tax uh, dollars. So uh, there there was the financial that came to bear on on those decisions. But but my, my point is that, like, you know, <laughs> like if you look across the entire course of time it was the human psychology you know and 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 then subsequently mental health and mental health mental health institutions were the testing ground for big pharma and then they became the cornerstone for big tech right this is the type of degree and 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 time horizon that satan plays in he doesn't play in decades he doesn't play in five years two years one years elections he plays in a hundred thousand millennial games i mean that's and that's probably being conservative um, so we see over the course of like from the early 1900s to 1950 and then to now over the course of 100 years, mental health be used as a conduit to both shun and and demonize people with genuine mental health issues, start to conflate them with people's choices that are actually more related to sin than they are any organic mental disease, and then now use it as a predicate 
for um, the casino game theory of big tech, right? To pull everybody into a more general form of mass form psychosis. Um, and this is a high level, high, high level manipulative game that's been played by our elites, by our scientific community. And again, it says, you know, Doc, Dr. Brown, Dr. Brewster, who was on the commission, he goes, uh, you know, tranquilizers became the treatment. Well, what does that sound like? I mean, tranquilizers becoming the treatment the, the, in the 50s and 60s, tranquilizers, drugs becoming the, the uh, one size fit all treatment for mental illness is a, re- a reflection of what corporate media's post-color television function was on society writ large. Think about it. I mean, th- this, this is what the, the post-color television era did to the entire society. This was the testing ground. This was the predicate. These, these were the beta tests. Let's see if we can drug people. Let's see if drugging people will actually suffice for us to continue to run the machine and the status quo. And it did work. It did work within certain, certain parameters. You and I would certainly see the homeless problem as a real problem. But do you think your ivory tower elites like Nancy Pelosi see the, the homeless problem in San Francisco as a real problem? Absolutely not. It's not a problem to them. It's not a problem at all. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the mental health thing is, is, is one of the greatest issues we face. It, it, in large part, it is the greatest issue we face. But it, like so many others, have been uh, hijacked and weaponized uh, to the elite's advantage. So I hear all that. And, and part of my argument in, in my piece is like, as we have transitioned to this modern technologically advanced society and all these new roles for people that, and and one of the main new roles is like family is optional and gender roles are very fluid and men can be women and women can be men and, and everybody into the workforce and everybody chasing radical materialism, as you like to say, that, that just, pop a pill and and that will replace a structured ordered family and faith in God and all the traditional things that kept people perhaps more sane. And so now I think we have more insanity and the solution has been to normalize the insanity and to say, you know what? Richard Levine thinks he's a woman. Let's just make that the new normal and install him as a four-star admiral, call him a her, and, and you know, now there's no, there's no, there's not mental illness. That, that's normal. And, and, and I look at virtually everything that's being normalized, promiscuity, everything that the Bible says will lead to death and destruction, we're just yeah. normalizing it. Well, it's it's a step worse than normalizing it. We're we're commercializing and corporatizing it, right? Um, it, it's one thing to say, "Hey, this isn't that far off the beaten path for a man to cut his penis off because he feels like a woman." I mean, that's that's one thing for a small subsect of people to think that that or try to push that that's normal. It's another thing to go out of your way as a society to commercialize, corporatize, and make profit off of that type of cultural norm, right? I mean, that's. That's where we are now. I mean, we're we're well beyond any type of uh, you know the the early LGBTQ movement in the '60s and the '70s said, "Hey, 
hey, we're here, we're doing this, you know, give us a fair shake, right? Uh, the LGBTQ community today says we should run the entire country from an LGBTQ policy perspective, and that should be the foremost priority. It should take precedent over the sovereignty of your nation, any resemblance of national borders, any any resemblance of, of, of competent medical um, uh, vetting and, and, and leadership or, or guidance or information. Uh, we should take precedent over everything. And you can't see that as an accident. And, and really, you can't even see the smoking gun as being something cultural or political. It, it, you have to go to the metaphysical to, to, to square it. Uh, and, and I think mental health as a topic uh, would, be, would be Satan's greatest playground. Where are we most vulnerable? Psychologically, we're most vulnerable, even beyond our, our physical flesh. Royce, I want to pause for a moment, take care of a small piece of business, and then I want to ask you, you and I were talking earlier, and you mentioned it earlier in one of your comments. I want to get to it. I want you to expound on it. The relationship between sin and psychosis. I want mm. you to expound on that, but give me a second here to talk about uh, Pure Health, Liver Health, a product that you guys have heard me talking about in recent weeks. I've been taking this product for nearly two years. This, I, I couldn't give a more authentic endorsement of something that can help destroy your fatty liver, help you lose weight, help you get in better health. I'm living proof. Again, fatty liver, you're three times more likely to suffer heart failure. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw everything in our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, cigarettes. That's why so many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver helped you with over 500 key functions every day. It's time for you to help your liver. There is a solution, Liver Health Formula, an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the USA and approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to GetLiverHelp.com slash Jason and claim your free bonus gift. That's GetLiverHelp.com slash Jason. Guys, long before I was endorsing it, I was using it. It's all over my cabinets at home. I keep this stuff stockpiled. Love it. Can't give it a stronger recommendation. All right. I want to get back to Royce. Royce, you and I were talking this morning about my whole take on all of this. And, and one of the things you wanted to explore and I found interesting is that sin and psychosis are like peanut butter and jelly. Explain. Well, I think I think the attempt to um, explain mental, the, the, the movement and attempt from the medical community to explain mental illness uh, increasingly as only a matter of organic disease um, was part and parcel of an entire society's decision to move further and further away from any Christian explanation of life or any Christian worldview. And, and ultimately, in doing so, they made two very, very big mistakes. They, they redefined the DSM in a way that, that totally disregards people's choices as a matter or function of, of their overall mental stability and health. 
Um, and then that was the segue for what you see today, which started back in the in the 70s when they changed the DSM classification for gender dysphoria. Right. I mean, uh, the, the it, it's part of the same lineage. Right. It's part of the same scientific heresy. And that's why I say the four great heresies of the West were one, the scientific method, which started way before this conversation of scientific method. Heresy goes back to industrial uh, industrialization itself. Then you had democracy like this sort of faux moral consensus. We don't have to be right. We just have to get enough people to, to agree. Then you had computer technology and then you have now artificial intelligence. But the LGBTQ part is, is again, uh, part of the same sort of uh, lexicon is like, uh, well, you don't choose to be gay. You don't choose to be LGBTQ. It has nothing to do with God or choices. It's just a, an organic anomaly. And in this organic anomaly, uh, that has no bearing on your mental health. It's funny that out of all of the demographics of people, that the LGBTQ seem to be most statistically plagued by severe mental illness, anxiety, depression, and, and substance abuse. And they even report it as mental illness. But the two are never associated with each other in the mainstream media. I mean, these are blatant, blatant lies. They're just lying to you. They're lying to the American people. They're lying to people all over the world. And our medical community feels comfortable with it because, uh, you know, we haven't showed uh, a courage to to stand alone in faith in God without their without their medicines, without their silver bullet uh, solutions. I so relate to this point. And when you said it this morning, I thought about as I do. And I know y'all get tired. Some people get tired of hearing me say it, but I, I got to say it. I got to keep it real. As soon as you said it this morning, I thought of my, my sin of gluttony. And 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 I, I sit there and think about how we've moved, that this is part of the insanity, psychosis that we're promoting in America now. Like, hey, being obese, that's normal. And, and you know, the, you, you, you were born that way. You were born to either overeat or your thyroid was too slow or blah. It's not the choices you made. No, Jason, it's not that you drove through that McDonald's drive-through every day. That wasn't it. It was, you were born, when you came out the womb, the first thing, your first words were Ronald McDonald. Not mama or daddy, it was Ronald McDonald. You were born that way. And, and so I, I, it was such an eloquent point about how virtually all of this sin is, is an indication, uh, an indicator of your psychosis and a, and a mental illness that they just want you to accept, want to normalize. And where I, I go to, Royce, and I've said this before on the show, but it's almost like there's a segment, a powerful segment of the population that wants to depopulate us, that yeah. anything that kills you, they promote. Anything. <laughs> if it kills you, except for the AR-15. That's the only thing <laughs> that they do. <laughs> that they don't, that they're at, well, that kills, but we don't want that kind of death. Everything, we want this slow death. We are, anyway, I, I just, it was a very let, profound point. Let, well, let, let, me, let me go a little deeper on it because I just, I don't think I answered it in the, in the last in the last answer, but specifically as it pertains to sin, um, you know, we accept we accepted this this entire narrative that all disease, 
all disease, all manner of uh, perversion of health or decline of health is just, you know, it's it's an anomaly. It's 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 a happenstance. It's just, you know, tragic that, that it had that our choices have no have no effect on it. And it's sort of this way to abnegate any personal responsibility and ultimately make you a ward of the state, make you a ward of science, make you a ward of this all seeing eye who has a better view on the bigger picture of things than your little individual brain could ever really uh, fathom or imagine. Uh, but but in effect, you know, th- there are, I believe, organic um, diseases of the brain, organic di- um, diseases of, of uh, the human psychology, um, but there are also self-induced diseases. Uh, it's, it, take cancer, for example. You have people who never smoked a cigarette a day in their life get cancer at 30 and die, right? But when you go to an e- uh, ER, the number one control question, if you're sick, is always what? Do you drink alcohol? Do you smoke cigarettes? Right. So they're 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 in in their own practice, in their own cultural norms. They affirm that your personal choices have an effect and outcome on your overall health or your mental health. But they never, never want to acknowledge that it has anything to do with a a notion called sin. And even more scary, your new form of of cultural cult is is the Judeo Buddhism, where they now affirm that all of your lifestyle practices do have this interconnected effect on your overall health and and prosperity and 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 wellness right wellness but they just stay away from the fact that most of those root principles about how to live come from christianity or they're very in alignment with christianity right it's like if the buddha said it then it's fine but if christ said it it's hostile right it's a microaggression Christ is the king of microaggressions, I guess, and the Buddha is the all-knowing, the all-knowing being. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's it's 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 so blatant that that it's uh it's quite scary that people will even uh will even tolerate it. It's an open the mental health topic shows you the continuation and open war on Christ and Christians and uh and and following Christ. Royce, I, I and I, I can't. In the past week, and I, I was I, I was reading the Bible, and and I was reading T.J. Moe sent me this Andrew Womack Living Commentary Bible that I, I use among other Bibles, and and Andrew Womack was and I wish I could remember the I wish I could remember the passage, but there's there's several passages that I've been reading where he directly connects sin to illness and that the Bible directly connects sin to physical ailments. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, and people don't understand that, don't accept that, uh, reject that. And that's this modern culture. But the Bible is crystal clear on this, that, that your sin will contribute to your illness, and perhaps the illness of your loved ones. Mm. And, and people have no understanding of that, no belief in that. And, and I, 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 I'm very in tune with it because I know what my own sin has, has you know, done to me. And, and you know, I trust what I, I read in the Bible, but it's everything about us that keeps moving away from a biblical worldview. 
And, and we never look at that as the solution. We, we, again, I go back to trust the science. There's a Dr. Fauci for every generation and he can fix every problem. Jesus Christ serves no use for you except on Sundays for a two hour period. Dr. Fauci is the real expert. And again, I'm just using his name to the science just to represent all, all of these pharmaceutical companies that, that you know, just want to pillage your bank account and, and actually profit off of your illness and keeping yeah. you consistently ill, consistently mentally ill. And, <laughs> and so I, I look at, I, I wanna go back to just a fundamental jumping off point from this. That's why when I look at this Jordan Neely situation, my first thoughts aren't about the Marine and whether the Marine did the right or wrong thing. I, 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 just, I go to like, how did we get here? Where yeah. a man's father can abandon him as a child, his mother can get murdered by a stepfather at 14, he goes into depression and mental illness at 14, and for the next 16 years, he just exists in and out of jail, arrest, assault, just in craziness, and he's living out on the street, and he's harassing people, assaulted a grandma, but he just, we've just become indifferent to his suffering, and, and it's like, I look at it and go, no, we created this, and there's a bunch of Jordan Neely's out there, and George we're not, Floyd. you know, what the Marine did or didn't do is irrelevant if we don't clean mm -hmm. up the whole destruction of our family and, and our whole move away from a biblical values. Yeah, no, 100%, you know, and it, look, now, now, let, me, let, me, let me take the conversation to a, a, an, another place that, that I think helps encapsulate what you're trying to say. Because in the conservative movement, we talk a lot about fighting against globalism and, and satanic forces and, and elites, oligarchs, tyrants, so on and so forth. But we never really talk about how. We never really, we never really, talk, we never really talk about the when and where and, and why. Most importantly, the why, you know, motive, intent. And, you know, the right. When I talk about 501c3 Christians a lot, the same people who passed a lot of this legislation, Ronald Reagan, who's become a saint of the Republican Party that I'm now a part of and trying to lead a, a, a sort of ex, uh, a, a exodus away from this, this uh, outer bastion of New World Order that the Republican Party has, has represented for so long. A lot of your Republican stalwarts, Nixon, Reagan, what they did as these sort of uh, uh, Ivy League East Coast elites was wrap themselves in the religious right. Right. They wrapped themselves in a sentiment in the in the wide body populace of the American people around Christ and Christianity, but they never really believed in it. And you can tell that they didn't believe in it because the prescription and result of their policy never really implemented any genuine Christian charity. And although the conservative movement hails Christianity a great deal, the idea of charity often escapes us in a radical consumer material based society. And therein lies a, a great heresy of our own that 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 happens before 
we ever interact with the homeless man, it happens here in our mind when we look in the mirror and we have we 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 lack the ability to 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 um we lack the ability to express and display and 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 extend charity to our own self, let alone the crackhead on the corner. I mean, we're not even real charitable towards ourselves. That's what you're talking about with the gluttony. Is is you know we don't even have that that love and charity of our own of our own life and our own path, let alone some stranger who we don't know. And this is explicitly anti-Christ. This is explicitly anti-God, and it's been baked into our society from the top down and from the bottom up. But the religious, you know, the, the, the Republicans have wrapped themselves in the, in the religious right. And I, I want to show you an example of this is like, um, <laughs> you know, when we when we look at your, your Nixons and Reagans and some of the people who who built um, this this narrative about Christianity and politics, um, we are looking at a group of people who always intended to use the military as a, as a sort of battle axe against the American people and free people everywhere, right? But they wrapped it in Christianity. And, and so you, you have a, a, a natural juxtaposition from the free people that the Marxists and left now hijack and say, your Republicans don't care about people. Well, that's not true. If you go knock on a, an average American's door who considers himself conservative, right wing or whatever, they'll help you. They're helpful people. But if you look at their leaders like John McCain or George Bush or or some of the others throughout history, Herbert Walker Bush, you see that they they, in fact, are are uh, were the, the neocon establishment that sat over the Democrats they wielded the Democrats. They used the Democrats. And I don't mean to take it political, but it has such a profound impact on our on our nation and on our on our worldview towards these types of issues. Right. And so to, to bring it back to to, to to today is like think of George Floyd. It's George Floyd. That's why Steve Bannon says, you know, and he, he says all the time, he t- he's trying to stress to black people as much as he can. Yeah, George Floyd was on fentanyl. Yeah, he resisted arrest. Yeah, he had a history of crime. Yeah, he resisted that day. Yeah, he may have died anyway. Yeah, you know, a number of yeah, yeah, yes. But the real question is, why wasn't, where was his manufacturing job? Look at the circumstance of his life. And if you look at the circumstance of his life, if you look at the circumstance of Neely's life, do we absolve them of their individual responsibility or culpability? No. But as Christians, we are obligated to have charity. Now, if you want to demonize someone, fine. But we only can do that with good Christian consciousness after we've gone to exhaust the full extent of our charity. And our American culture is in rejection of this, rabid rejection of this right now, across the board, not only in our political elites, but down there in the grassroots, in every community. We want the cell phone. We want TikTok. I see a bunch of 401k boomers that want Facebook. It's not just a millennial young generation thing. I see grandmothers and grandfathers wasting away on Facebook. They turned Facebook into the slot machine, the penny slots at the casino. And they took the boomers and their 401k money out of the casinos and put them in front of Facebook to become even more rabid consumers. This is a this is a this is a agenda. This is a plan being executed on 12 dimensions. And it's meant to pit us against each other. So when I look at a Neely or a George Floyd, all of these people, I don't say, oh, you're a victim. No, no. I say, we're all being victimized. But the, the victim in us 
has had us decide to not fight. It, it, it's, it's, it's neutered us, right? That's the only problem. Again, I'll, I'll give you one more example. The great Jordan Peterson, all hell Jordan Peterson. And he's, he talks often about, you know, getting your own house in order before you go to take on any big worldly issues. And, I'm, and I kind of look at that and I go, mm, nah, nah, I'm not, I'm not buying it. And the reason why is because the, the sort of conservative notion of individuality that we all stay kind of to our own, mind our own business, that's led to this whole deal. The conservative elites have used that to a T to keep conservatives in their house and disempowered and disengaged from the process. And they've actually represented them. So, yes, we, we don't need to look at, look, be, look at ourselves as victims and go, woe is me. We need to realize that we are a victim of the Fed, that we are a victim of China-centric policy, that we are a victim of a technocratic death cult, that we are a victim of a uniparty scam. We are a victim of global post-World War II policies. Now it's time to fight, right? Now it's time to fight, and people die in fights. But it's not the death cult that they promote. It's not, and look at the two biggest budget items in our federal budget today. What are they? Medical care and the military. The military-industrial complex and the medical-industrial complex, both of which are boomers who hold the majority of wealth in this country having their 401ks rely upon a systemic political government death call. We got to make bombs. We got to give you medicine that kills you. Boom. Both groups are profiting off the, the alleged vaccine, by the way. I mean, they're in on that together. That, that's a group effort. Royce, there's a point you're evading, though, that I think okay. you, you don't think I want to go down. Or, and okay. you don't think this show wants to go down. But, and we may not be able to unpack this in full today. Yeah. But, but I don't want you to hold back because when I hear you start talking about charities, I, I, I interpret it as part of the reason why you're a Catholic and part of the reason why, because Catholics prioritize charity, in my view, correct me if I'm wrong, more than other faith-based organizations. And, and uh, it, it, it's, it's a facet, the, the way Catholicism has been smeared and, and damaged over the last 20 years and, and uh, again, don't know if we can go all the way down this rabbit hole today, but eventually we're going to go down. Maybe the next visit, yeah. maybe tomorrow, yeah. who knows? But, but, but there's part of me that wants to talk to a Catholic who can, who can make the argument, because this is what I suspect. It's like the, the alleged sexual malfeasance within the Catholic Church pales in comparison to the sexual malfeasance in public schools and in public education, but the media has focused on Catholicism and the Catholic Church and Catholic schools and priests. And again, I'm not excusing it, yeah. but, but I, I, I think they've done it to completely demolish and diminish the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith. And while they ignore all the sexual malfeasance that goes on in public schools and in public education, and yeah. and anyway, I just when I hear you talk about charity, I well, hear me, you slightly me. holding back on your faith. <laughs> well, go ahead. Um, 
okay, I'll, I'll try and give you the brief synopsis of this for another for another time. Um, but but I do think that the the status of the Catholic Church uh, and the overall status of 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 our spiritual, uh, you know, the, the the overall standing spiritually in this country and around the world by way of the Catholic Church and many of its flaws and, and outright sins, blasphemies, heresies, so on and so forth, um, can be seen as the core, the core, uh, the root problem in many of these cultural and societal symptoms. And, and you'll, you'll find this fascinating that Vatican II that happened right in this similar time, 50s, 60s, 70s, and all of the outgrowth of Vatican II, uh, was one of the, one of the core, uh, Catholic turning points that started to allow a lot of this scientific heresy uh, to change the nomenclature of of uh, of the Pope and 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 the Vatican and the entire Catholic community around our um, prerequisites for the clergy, right? Right. We started to let homosexuals into the clergy, and everybody talks about the pedophilia thing. This is another great info war. Everybody talks about the pedophilia scam uh, scandal in the Catholic Church, although as as though it's not explicitly homosexual and pedophilic in nature. In its pedophilic nature, it's explicitly homosexual by a large part. Uh, and there you see a sort of LGBTQ um, canary that nobody ever wants to talk about with relation to the Catholic Church and its pedophilia. A lot of little boys, a lot of priests and little boys. Never hear a lot of stories about a bunch of priests uh, cornering some nuns or little girls. Uh, I mean, that's just, that just wasn't a prominent part of the narrative. And as big as the Me Too movement and the women's rights movement has become, you would think if those stories were out there, they would surely reach the headlines. But they didn't. Um, but but as an overall uh, as an overall tenet of Catholicism, we do prioritize charity. We do prioritize charity. And I think it's for great reason. Um, and I think that the the sort of satanic undermining the deep church, the deep state, the deep church's undermining of the of the Catholic Church was intended to bastardize charity, to to sort of kick out the last pillar of charity in the world, because the Catholic Church is responsible for the majority of charity in the world, not your NGOs, not the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you know, it's it's not it's not a, a the Koch Brothers Foundation or or the Epstein Foundation. No, it's the Catholic Church that that provides most of the charitable giving all across the globe. And it is one of the great uh, one of the great um, one of the great accomplishments of the Catholic Church, one that I'm very proud of. And I think we need to get back to as Christians writ large, Catholic or not, because the question becomes if we don't want the government, if we don't want to pay taxes personal income. You got the Federal Reserve in 1913. You got personal income taxes all of a sudden out of thin blue air in 1918. Then you got the women's rights movement. Then you got World War II. Then you got women going into the workplace because men go off to war. And when they come back, you have the restructuring of the entire global economy around a U.S. dollar reserve currency. And thus, they promote it as making America strong because the entire world is dependent on our currency. But really, it's our greatest weakness because so too as the world's feeling and sentiment towards America goes in our economy, so too goes the dollar, which we never needed. Okay? That's an aside. But the point is, the point is, we adopted, we embraced, we believed, we loved the idea. We loved the idea that communism 
was a problem. And it is a problem. When you're a technocrat communist like Yuval Noah Harari say in order to make communism work, you got to kill 80% of the people. You know what the juxtaposition to communism is? Communism with God. The early Christian institutions actually practice communism. In Christianity now or in Catholicism now, in the future, in Revelation, we, we would describe that as uh, Christian globalism. It's not globalism that's the problem. It's globalism without God. It's globalism without faith. It's globalism without sacred honor. That's the problem. And that's the type of globalism they want, radical material globalism. But globalism with charity and humility and, 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 and an aversion of the seven deadly sins, who could oppose that? So if we're not going to let the government tax us at 60%, which is a far cry of tyranny in and of itself, and then let the Federal Reserve come in and take money from the 60% and charge us interest on our own money, if we're not going to do that, who's going to take care of the nation, even the military itself? We need charity. We need tithing. This was all co-op. The federal government, the behemoth, the leviathan that has become our grandiose federal government that bastardizes the meaning of community. All they did was take the root tenets of Christianity, weaponize them in a satanic way. Instead of 10 percent, we'll take 60. <laughs> and forget the God part, because that'll make you ask too many questions about the morals and ethics. I'm just I'm just random. I'm sorry. <laughs> Royce. <clears throat> Great stuff. I, 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 I might have to have you back this week because I think there's more to unpack here. But I want to move on to Steve Kim, talk a little sports. But thank you so much. Appreciate the conversation. You guys, uh, jam that like button. Let's get 5,000 likes on this show. If you're listening over Apple, hit that five-star review. Leave a comment on your Apple review. Please, we got to fight this algorithm. YouTube's killing us, man. We now only get one day of, of where they actually allow you guys to watch our show, and then uh, day two, all our views go away. You got to help me out and, and slam that like button. Uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit the notification, subscribe. D. Kim, the Korean Cosell. All right, welcome back. Time for some Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. We're going to switch up and talk about uh, Matt Ariza. I don't know if you guys remember him. The The San Diego State punter who was drafted by the Buffalo Bills a year ago, I believe, uh, had a great start to training camp in the preseason, I believe, Matt Ariza did. Uh, they started calling him the punt god. Looks like he was going to make the Buffalo Bills team. And then allegations came about that he was involved in a potential gang rape. There was a civil lawsuit. Uh, a young lady that was 17 at the time saying she was gang raped at a San Diego State University party. Matt Ariza was one of the people accused. The, the Buffalo Bills knew all about this before the draft, still drafted him, and then late in training camp preseason, 
whatever, they get skittish over this civil lawsuit and cut bait with Matariza. Well, now it's come out, uh, the prosecution explained to the woman and her family why they would not prosecute Matariza or any of the men that she accused of rape at this party. They have video evidence of the sex. They have witness testimony of what happened. They have evidence that they find credible that at the time of the rape, that I believe this transpired around 1.30 a.m., Matariza had already left the party an hour before. Ariza acknowledged last year that he had consensual sex with the woman. Uh, the prosecution believes that because eyewitness testimony, her own behavior uh, at the party, her, some of her friends and what they said happened, that she showed up at the party and within minutes runs into Matt Ariza. He's taking a leak behind a building and she propositions him for sex, has sex with him, comes back and tells her friends, hey, I just had sex with a guy. He leaves and she has sex with more guys at this party. People capture the sex on their cell phones. And the prosecution has looked at the tapes and said, look, we can't make a rape allegation charge out of any of this because based on the video evidence and the testimony of people that witnessed it, this was all consensual and you enjoyed it. You never ask anyone to stop. It's on tape. They, according to the Yahoo story I read by Dan Wetzel, they showed the young woman and her family the video evidence of her having consensual sex at this party. And there's a timestamp on when it happened and blah, blah, blah. It, it, it sounds like a case of the speculation on my part. No one has said this, but it's a bipolar woman who was going through mania, uh, wasn't intoxicated or visibly intoxicated at the time, but you, you mix that bipolar medication with any kind of alcohol, it can promote a mania that will turn you into a tramp. I mean, an out of control tramp. That's what this sounds like. But anyway, Matt Ariza has had his life destroyed. He was cut in a pariah in the NFL. Uh, who I guess there's a chance he'll get signed this offseason. I would speculate now that he's been vindicated. Uh, I, I, there are people making the argument, and we'll ask Steve Kim, what should happen to the young woman? She's destroyed this man's life, smeared his reputation for more than a year, cost him a year in the NFL at a minimum. Should she be charged with some criminal charges? And what should we think of the Buffalo Bills who cut bait with him, even though they knew of these allegations beforehand, they cut bait and further smeared this guy. I'm not real pleased or satisfied with the Buffalo Bills. I, I don't, they look weak and cowardly to me for not standing by the guy, but 
you know, I guess I could understand it. it. It's potential risk the way this Me Too movement is and the way social media is today. Had they stood by him, everybody on social media would be slamming the organization. The organization would be dealing with an off the field uh, situation that could have led to protest the entire season and been a major distraction for the entire team. This to me gets at the mess that social media has made of American society. You're no longer innocent until proven guilty. You're guilty until proven innocent. Steve Kim. So I don't even know where to begin with this question. So just your overall thoughts on who's to blame here, who you mad at, who's obviously Matt arises the victim, but are you mad at the Buffalo Bills? Are you mad at the girl who clearly has some mental health issues? Just your overall thoughts. Well, first of all, good Tuesday to you, Jason. Yes. Yeah, so, so this young man here, he went from allegedly being R. Kelly to Ray Guy. Uh, all in a span of about, what, 10 months. Look, the, the bottom line is this. Someone perjured themselves, and they, there should be a penalty for this. Uh, we've seen this before recently. There were two former Ohio State Buckeye football players are exonerated. We all know the story of the young man out here in Southern California that lost his scholarship and his football career at USC with similar allegations this really shows to me that the Me Too movement, and specifically Believe All Women, that particular agenda needs to be put to rest. We need to believe evidence and actually have due process. Now, who am I upset at? Uh, look, the Buffalo Bills were really gutless, but they may have not had a choice. My, my view is this. If you did your due diligence before the draft and you understand the situation at hand, the circumstances at play, and you decide to make that decision, to bring him into your organization, you need to have enough confidence to say, you know what, we have done the all the investigations, we believe in this young man's character and what took place. But they folded like origami because they had no choice. In, in today's particular culture, once an allegation is made, that is now tantamount to a conviction, unfortunately. Then you have the mainstream media which paints the picture of every alleged assault already being a guilty plea. The way they frame the events, the way they talk about it. And then if a team like the Bills actually says, you know what? No, 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 no. We believe in this young man. Then the organization gets put on trial. There's almost no nuanced discussion with this as it relates to those particular platforms. Then you have the woman herself, who is now the perpetrator, Jason, you said something, and I want to clarify this, because um, you've probably done more research than I have. Was there a medical or a chemical imbalance involved? Did she have this particular mental state that was a hindrance to her judgment? Totally my speculation. Totally okay. my speculation based on life experience. Okay. Then with that said, um, in the immortal words of Houdini, ho, you know, I'm a ho. How do you know because of the video? I mean, could you imagine that family going through that? I'm talking about an awkward picture or video day. I mean, look, I am just glad for his sake that Matt Ariza was not a conductor or a passenger on that train. I hate to be graphic, but again, I think this man deserves all our sympathy. And, and I would hope that the NFL realizes that, hey, he's not a saint. He's a sinner, but he is not a rapist. I would hope that he gets a shot in the National Football League in the near future.
I'm glad you made that point in distinction, Steve, because I don't want anybody uh, listening to this, watching this, think that I think Matt Ariza, Ariza is some great person. Uh, right. But I've certainly been in his 22, 23-year-old mind state in this world, in this culture, and, you know, I would, it's even worse now, uh, this swipe left, swipe right uh, culture that we have, this Tinder co- hookup culture that we have now. And so I, I don't want to exonerate the young man. He is a reflection of the times. But, but And so I'm glad you made that point. And so I want to move on to another point because I, I don't want to castigate this guy's morality that's between him and his God and his family and hopefully his development and involvement. What I do want to say, though, this goes to my overall narrative for the last seven to ten years. Social media is the sworn enemy of courage and truth. Yes. If we if we weren't in this social media era, somebody would with all that evidence would have had the courage to stand next to this guy and say, look, man, it's just wrong. They're not pressing criminal charges. There's a reason why we're going to stand by him. But social media is so powerful and so toxic and poisonous that there would have been great risk to the Buffalo Bills, the entire organization. Their their whole last season could have been turned into a nightmare scenario of protest and, and female sports reporters who, who don't care anything about sports but love to go ask gotcha questions and stand on the moral high ground and say this toxic masculine culture of football and blah, 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 and Roger Goodell, you're tolerating all this and you're wicked and evil. Social media is the sworn enemy of courage. It is destroying basic agreed upon principles, innocent until proven guilty, no, no man gets that benefit of the doubt, and certainly no white man. Yeah, and Ariza, I don't even sure if he's white. Well, don't forget this phrase: "Protect all women." And that that's that's thrown out there a lot. Let's just put it this way: if there was a national NFL reporter, you know all the names, or a local beat reporter in Buffalo that would have said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. are we prosecuting off of evidence or perception and public relations?" That guy's messages, the DMs, the reactions on social media, a lot of guys don't want to deal with it. And I don't blame them. But here's a question that I have to the media that was so vociferous in reporting this. Reminds me of the story of one of my favorite athletes, Michael Jerome Irvin. I don't know if you remember this one. This was a couple years after the White House. Michael Irvin's reputation is stained. And he got set up for something that he didn't do. And I think it was this dancer that had a cop as a boyfriend, and they almost did an execution, hitman-style thing on the playmaker. And it turned out that this lady was lying about being sexually assaulted. Now, as he was exonerated, I believe this woman was actually uh, sent back to her country. She was deported. And I'll never forget Michael Irvin, as all the cameras are on him, as he's getting out of his car, he points at the media and he tells them, same intensity. Same intensity. In other words, report with the fervor my innocence as you did as you cast guilt. But you know that's not going to happen. I would love to see a couple of media outlets just say to Matt Ariza, let's sit down for a half hour. Let's get your side of the story and what you went through. 
that at least would have a modicum of fairness. Steve, and I, I got to be careful because I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to promote myself. I, I'm trying to ask an authentic question. I have built my career on blowing up popular media narratives. And, and a lot of times I blow up popular media narratives built around race. I don't, you're old enough to remember the Genesis 6 case down in Louisiana uh, where you know these black high school football players allegedly were strung up on uh, you know charges because it, it was crazy. I went down to Louisiana, spent three days, blew that whole narrative up and took a lot of heat from black people for blowing up that very yeah. false narrative that was concocted by some white minister in Texas. I, I've done it on any number of issues. And I'm just wondering, is there ever going to be a female sports writer who breaks from the female tribe and calls BS and reports out one of these stories before everyone else? Mina Kimes, Sarah Spain, no. any of them, the, no. the truth activists, social justice warriors, Again, if I'm willing to do it and take the heat uh, for, oh, I sold out black people for telling the truth, is there no women sports reporter out there willing to, to just report the truth rather than just protect their tribe? No, because they are world-class grifters and they are professional opportunists. And if they go off the script, their climb up the corporate ladder takes a hit. They're not allowed to. Another case, Duke lacrosse. I think that's one of the most famous ones where we, you knew within a couple of weeks, wait a minute, two plus two here equals five. Something's very wrong. And that thing became a big political football. People jumped to conclusions. And it turns out years later, all these young men did, it turns out, was they called the wrong escort or stripping service. Again, I'm not making a moral judgment, but no real crime took place, at least not the one that fit the narrative. But again, the, the issue becomes with legacy corporate media, once these things are drawn within gender and racial lines, there's almost like this unspoken word or rule that you're not allowed to paint certain people as the protagonist, other people as the victims. It doesn't work. And I think a lot of the, to be perfectly blunt, a lot of these writers are comfortable with this rule for one reason, because if they cast certain people as the perpetrators or the criminals, they do not want the heat or blowback on social media. It is like you said, it's very easy, Jason, to take the opposite stance you did, but you understand it probably better than anybody. If you actually go against the grain now, a lot of guys cannot take the heat. Quite frankly, they ain't got the guts. There's definite truth in that. That that, and again, this is I'm going really big picture here, and, and but it's consistent with everything I say on this show. Women aren't as comfortable in conflict and with pushback and with criticism as men. And, and so they want to exist in a bubble of where all they get is affirmation. And yes. if they get the wrong tweet, the wrong nasty email, 
oh, their life falls apart. And what, what's sad is that by injecting women into these spaces, we're now building a society that fits their personality rather than the truth. And so I'm looking at men across the board adopt the same type of mentality that any pushback, any criticism, they fold, they're mortally wounded. And and so I I, 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 I certainly it's a yeah, but Selena Roberts. Go ahead. ahead. I think too many media members, especially the newer ones. Instead of telling the blunt black and white truth or hitting upon a gray area that is very inconvenient, they would rather write something where they get universal praise. In other words, they write for the approval of the audience, or in my view, or probably your view, you should write to be authentically correct and accurate, because those two things aren't going to always intersect. I've always said, if you are angering or pissing somebody off once in a while as a writer or a columnist or a media member, you know what that shows? It means you're probably doing your job because this is not a popularity contest. I'm not even sure right now if the media supports the mainstream corporate media. It, it, it's so hostile and so adverse and so locked in with social media that the truth is just way too dangerous for yeah. them, for the yeah. editors. Yeah. They don't want to take the heat. And again, when you, I'm going to, I'm going to sound sexist and mean spirited, I guess, or just, I'm going to sound like Archie Bunker, but you, you just throw women into all these spaces where we're asking them to take bullets and they're not willing to take bullets. That's just the facts. That's why men have gone off to war and died and women have stayed home. Men are willing to take bullets that women are not. That's just a fact. And so there are bullets that you have to take inside of a newsroom, inside of a news organization and stand in the pocket, make controversial decisions and, 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 and stand on truth and deal with the blowback. And, and now the only blowback they want they can deal with is like if they can, oh, well, that person is racist or homophobic or transphobic or sexist. You know, those people criticizing me, I can label them. But, but, but standing on, on truth is just not well, within their nature. And now I'm looking at the nature of men being perverted, and it's not in our nature either. Everything's just about survival and making sure that people just blow rainbows up our rear end. Jason, two things. I I would love to have somebody research this. Let's say the top 20 biggest or most important influential female journalists, whether they're on TV or they write a column. Let's dig up what they wrote about Matt Ariza last year and the tone and the tenor to what they're going to write now. Let's see if they have enough honor. (laughs) Again, rhetorical question to say, you know what? We take everything back. We were wrong. We jumped the gun. The other thing, go back to what I asked you. I I don't want to hear that this young lady had mental issues because it really doesn't matter what she did. Look, again, I don't want to go Kim Dis Owens here, okay? But 
what happened in that subway with Jordan Neely, I don't care what mental issues he had. His actions are his actions. It's easy to excuse them from thousands of feet away or miles away where it doesn't affect you. But at the end of the day, his actions right then threaten people to a point of what happened. Now, that's not to say he should have lost his life, because I believe that that Marine was very excessive in his own actions. He'll have to deal with that legally. But, but my view is this. We are now, every time something like this happens, then it paints the picture. Well, mental illness. Right. But guess what? If a mentally ill person came up to you or my or you and I's mother and slapped them in the face in a public setting, we would not care about their mental health or their history. At the end of the day, your actions are your actions. And, and a person like Jordan Neely, can we be very blunt about this? At the very least, they were annoying. Other times they were menacing, but his record is his record. And it spoke for itself as did his actions that day. And as for that young lady, I hope that people have enough guts and courage just to say, you know what? She did something vile. She did something evil. And I hope there is no excuse making for her. Steve, I wasn't expecting you to go the Jordan Neely route. I did. I'm not disappointed. I just wasn't expecting it. Oh. The, 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 this woman with being 17, lying to people, saying she was 18. And again, they had that on videotape, her the night before. They, they had it on tape or witnesses. I think it was on tape, her telling people she was 18. Uh, but people hate to hear it. But, but you can't put yourself in harm's way. You can get liquored up, proposition people, do what it and put yourself in harm's way and get taken advantage of. And that's what it sounds like happened to this woman. Now, here comes some slut, she's offering her, and then she sobers up or wisens up, and then she's embarrassed, and now everybody uh, raped her, and I'm gonna you know, claim rape, and her parents are sitting there mortified. Is our daughter a slut? Did she really? No way she just went around and banged five guys at a party. They don't wanna deal with that truth. The daughter put herself in harm's way, got harmed. Jordan Neely put himself in harm's way with his behavior. It's been going on for a dozen years or so. Uh, our systems of support have broken down all around him. It was only a matter of time before his life came to a tragic end. I, I, I actually uh, am somewhat sympathetic towards the Marine because I don't think he had any ill intent. Uh, he just... Jason got in, involved with someone that had a death wish and he is, is Jack Kevorkian to me. Jason, I'm just telling you, we ought to do this. Let's monitor the coverage of the Ariza situation as it relates to the perpetrator, which is that female. Let's see, let's see how they paint her that was a mental illness. There was a lot of anguish. She had a rough personal history. And guess what? None of it really matters all that much. Can we just be honest about it? It's easy for someone to say that's not affected by it. But if you are the victim, I'm not so sure you really have that much empathy for a person's past. Okay? So the reality is this. If you are someone who was impacted by a crime, whether it's a robbery or you're hit in a DUI or it's an assault, and you get harmed physically in any way, I don't think that you have any obligation 
to look at their past and say, you know what, I'm going to have empathy. Let's let them off. I completely disagree with that. At a certain point, everybody is responsible for their own individual behavior. Kim DeSowens, I'm going to let you go. I like that name, Kim DeSowens. Great job, as always. Uh, We'll play some tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. I just want, I wanna be, I just want